Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. Both the Prime Minister and I are focused on the urgent need to protect our nations from terrorism and uncontrolled migration. Our countries have learned through hard experience that border security is national security. They are one and the same. Like the United States, Italy is currently under enormous strain as a result of illegal immigration, and they fought it hard. And the Prime Minister, frankly, is with us today because of illegal immigration. Italy got tired of it. They didn't want it any longer. The people of Italy have borne a great part of the burden for Europe through the course of the migration crisis. I applaud the Prime Minister for his bold leadership, truly bold, and I hope more leaders will follow this example, including leaders in Europe. The Prime Minister and I are united in our conviction that strong nations must have strong borders. We have a solemn obligation to protect our citizens and their quality of life. Yeah, we do. And that was President Donald Trump, and he was talking about well, he's actually at a press conference there at the White House uh, with the prime minister, prime minister of Italy. And they were uh, just they took only two questions each. And, you know, that's because our media has really made it a spectacle. And really, it's embarrassing the way they behave in front of our foreign uh, counterparts. But it was an interesting moment for the president because he was able to connect a, an issue that was the signature issue of his campaign. And it's something that he's been working through as president to the primary goals of another world leader. And I thought that was super important. Uh, so welcome to the program. Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right, here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk, AFR.net, UrbanFamilyTalk.com, UrbanFamilyTalk.com, where you can find out more about what we do, the ministry, the work, and the hosts that are on both networks. And it's good to be with you today. So I'd love to just run down what we're going to talk about. Obviously, we're going to get into some immigration chats. And, you know, this is one of those things where I'm going to have to get a little bit real and admit that I hadn't actually read Adios America by Ann Coulter. And you know how we like to do. We Washingtons love to listen to a good audio CD or audio book on Audible on the way home from, uh, you know, a trip. And so last week we were on vacation and on the way back, we listened to the majority of Ann Coulter's book, Adios America. So if you're let's say you just never get angry. I know. But let's be hypothetical here. If you never get angry and you want to get angry, that's the audiobook to listen to. So we're going to delve into a little bit of that. We're going to speak with Walter Myers III. He's a political commentator and adjunct lecturer uh, for the master's degree in science and religion program at Biola University. He's going to come on today and talk with us about news of the day. And then we also have Brittany Hughes, the Brittany Hughes of Media Research Center TV. She's going to join the program. And uh, she's got a fascinating look at this... It, you know what I love? I love it when the socialist Democrats get to talking about facts and figures and numbers because that's when they're at their worst. Honestly, Ocasio-Cortez should just stop using numbers in her speeches because every number she quotes is so demonstrably false that it, it becomes mock-worthy. Now, we're very serious about our, our political information here at Stacy on the Right. So when I say mock-worthy, I mean... It's not you're not even able to salvage it like the numbers she's quoting aren't salvageable. So just to give you a little taste, 
Ocasio-Cortez says that 200 million Americans work in America today and earn less than $20,000. Well, the total American workforce is comprised of 155 million Americans. So 200 million Americans cannot work for 20,000 a year because there aren't 200 million Americans working in America. That's first off. Uh, so we're going to dig into those numbers with Brittany uh, Hughes, who is fantastic. She does great work over there, especially her video. Um, she does like video series over there that's really, really popular and excellent. And so we'll be talking to her about that in hour two. And then we have some audio from Lindsey Graham at the close of the show um, where he's talking about how proud he is of President Trump on the way he's been moving. But he has some suggestions for him uh, on China and trade rules and how China is actually muddying up the works between America and North Korea. We really need our discussions with North Korea to go well and to continue to move forward. And North Korea is kind of beholden to China and China is gumming up the works because they don't like what we're doing with them on our intellectual property and our trade. So uh, they are kind of saying, look, if you're not going to be our friend the way we want you to be our friend, you're not going to be able to be friends with North Korea because we own them and we get to tell them what to do. So Lindsey Graham has some advice for President Trump on that. Uh, So back to President Trump at the Oval Office having this press conference. And here's a little side story for you. Jim Acosta of CNN was actually in the room as usual. He has a a standing press pass. He has a hard pass, what they call a hard pass, which means he doesn't have to have one issued to him. Like if I want to go to the briefing room, I have to go through the proper channels and they'll issue me a pass. My pass will be for a certain number of days or even hours. It will only get me into the press room. I, I, I can't just, you know, go to the White House and stroll around. Even on the tour, you're limited to where you can go. But Jim Acosta has been a member of the White House Press Corps for a number of years, and so he has a hard pass. Hard pass holders have access to other hallways. Um, They can actually go and kind of hang out in certain areas where they would bump into staffers and ask staffers for comments on things, and they're well known within the the environs of the White House. So it's an interesting um, difference between... You know, obviously, Jim Acosta is a seasoned reporter and he's been around for quite a while. And they like to have people who have that kind of knowledge base to be the ones that are hard pass holders for organizations like CNN and MSNBC and the big news types. They want to have those people in there because you're supposed to, in the course of your work, this is almost any job, but especially for reporters, you build up relationships. And even when it's a little adversarial, as it is with Jim Acosta, there's still that mutual respect that comes from the fact that. He's just been in that space for a number of years. And that's why he swans around and sometimes he doesn't even bring his hard pass. And he's been told by Secret Service, remember that was a couple months ago, earlier in the summer, he was trying to just stroll around and one of the Secret Service agents was like, I need your hard pass. Hard pass holders go this direction. He said, I'm a hard pass holder. Don't you know I'm Jim Acosta? And she said, actually, sir, I don't know. He said, what are you new? She said, I'm new here and you need a hard pass to enter this hallway. And he said, I will definitely I'll retrieve it and I'll bring it, you know, and she said, every time you're in this space, you need to have your hard pass available for inspection. It was pretty stunning because he was trying to dress her down and she went ahead and dressed him back down because she really was unaware of who he was, which just goes to kind of show you that he's pompous like that all the time. It's not just on TV. So when this was going on, um, the, there, there were two questions from each side and Jim Acosta is there and he's doing his thing. And at the end, no one asks about the collusion, yada, yada, yada. So he starts yelling out questions. Well, when the White House staffers announce that they want you to exit the room, it's because 
it's not really about you. It's about the schedule of the president. The president has a number of items on his schedule every day. And in order to accommodate a, a number of moving parts, I mean, just gobs of stuff that has to go on that he has to be a part of and things that have to go on and move around him, he has to be kept on a tight schedule. And he can't do that himself. The staffers are there for that purpose. So the staffers used to, I mean, I've heard them in the background. If you watch enough video as I do, you'll hear the staffers in the background say, okay, that's it, folks. No more questions. Let's move out. In other words, it's time to clear the Oval Office because at that point, they may continue their discussion alone together, the two world leaders, or the other world leader, the visitor, might need to leave to catch their flight back to Europe or whatever. Whatever the case is, it's really not their job to decide whether it's time for them to go. They are guests in the White House. They have a right to be there because they're press and they have passes. But when it's time to exit the Oval Office, they should do so post-haste. Now, they're allowed to linger a little bit and gather their things because a lot of them have heavy equipment, cameras, etc. But for the most part, Jim Acosta, who strolls around unimpeded with just, you know, whatever notes he's taking, it doesn't take him long to turn around and start exiting. But they've taken to not listening to the staffers. So the staffers have taken to yelling. And then they get mad because they're being yelled at. And then the staffers have to yell some more because they're ignoring the staffers because they don't want to be yelled at and the staffers have to yell louder to make sure that they're heard because you have to leave the room. Well, that's what happened. The staffer was right next to Jim Acosta when she said, okay, folks, that's it. Thanks for being here. Let's move. Let's move. And then everyone starts turning really slowly like mini Titanics, like they can't just turn around and walk out. Jim Acosta starts shouting questions. He's been told it's over and it's time to go. He starts shouting questions. Now, you got to give respect to reporters for shouting out questions because it's just, it's like, that. I guess that's their job. So then he starts doing that and she's right next to him. So she shouts back, Jim, it's time to go. Let's move. And you can hear it on the audio. Like you can hear it and see it in the video. And so he complains about it on CNN later. And my question is, what about let's go, it's time to leave? Did he not understand? drama queen i mean seriously so the story is always about him have you noticed that he's always making the news and it's always jim acosta news instead of him reporting on actual news because he's asking questions that are substantial and right you know really primed for an answer because one thing i've noticed about donald trump is that he loves a good question that he can answer and get information out So, yes, they're going to ask about the collusion and all of that. But if that's the only thing they're going to ask about, of course, they're not going to get called on because the president needs to get other information out there besides the witch hunt Mueller investigation. Yeah, I said it. What y'all going to do? What all y'all haters out there, what you going to do? Nothing but keep watching. So now we're back to the president's audio. He was talking about Italy's illegal immigration problem. He compared it to our own. And then he said he would have no problem with actually having a government shutdown over border security in response to a question from a reporter who was wondering like where he stood on that because there's an opportunity coming up for the president to actually dig in his heels and require that border funding and the wall uh, for the for the wall for the extra judges that we need all of the different things that he's outlined there's time for him to actually like put his foot down and say I'm not going to I'm not going to sign anything unless it has what I need in it and Donald Trump explained his thinking on that it's number 7 My administration is working hard to pass border security legislation, improve vetting, and establish a merit-based immigration system, which the United States needs very, very importantly, very badly. As far as the border is concerned, and personally, if we don't get border security, after many, many years of talk, 
within the United States, I would have no problem doing a shutdown. It's time we had proper border security. We're the laughing stock of the world. We have the worst immigration laws anywhere in the world. In our meeting today, the Prime Minister and I discussed ways to enhance our cooperation in the fight against terrorism. That also has to do with border security. So it does. It has to do with border security. And I, I think, you know, you've got the president and you've got, you've got the, the issue um, that we don't have Republicans or Democrats as a majority who are willing to simply admit that our immigration is broken. And I don't mean broken like when when Democrats and kind of Chamber of Commerce Republicans, establishment Republicans, what it depends on what you want to call them, but people who are pro-illegal immigration because they want cheap labor. When those people say they want immigration reform, they don't mean they want to reform the system so that it works for Americans. They mean they want to continue the flow of illegal labor because it depresses wages. So for people who are currently, if you're in a state like here in Missouri, we have right to work up on the ballot on next week in our primary election. And what's so annoying about this is that people are lying, saying that right to work depresses wages. You know what really depresses wages? Illegal immigration. So the same people who want you to be forced to pay union dues that go to the Democrats are the same people who want illegal aliens replacing you and, and, and the workplace. And it's not just them replacing you in the workplace. Illegal aliens accounted for 45% of the crimes in Texas in one calendar year. Over 645,000 illegal aliens in prison for committing crimes. Yes, that's what I said. So when you see people talking about criminal justice reform and how America incarcerates way too many people, way more people than any other developed nation on the earth, because we have more Nigerians living in our country than any other country on earth besides Nigeria. We have more Mexicans living in our country than any other country on earth except for Mexico. We are becoming a magnet for people who can't make it in their own country or aren't wanted in their own country. So they're here. They're doing crimes. They're being incarcerated. They're being educated. They're on welfare. They're doing crimes here. And the Democrats are the same ones who are selling you the garbage on not giving you school choice, not giving you lower taxes, not giving you safety in your neighborhoods. And they're also selling you the garbage that you need to have illegal immigrants in your town doing all this stuff to you. Yeah, walk away. There's something wrong with that. We'll be back with Walter Myers III right after this. You know, people often ask me, Tim, what's your favorite part of the Holy Land Tour? I've been leading Holy Land Tours for many years now. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. You know, I learned how to lead these Israel tours from my dad, who started doing them in the 60s. And then he taught me in the 80s and 90s. And now my wife, Allison, and I lead these tours annually to Israel. And we love going because we love seeing people's eyes when they see things such as the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River and the Garden Tomb and the Wailing Wall. See all these things for the first time and maybe the last time in many folks' lives because this is a bucket list trip. We're going to be going in March. If you want a brochure sent to your mailbox, give us a call at 800-FAMILIES, 800-F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S, option 5. And we'll send you a brochure. If you want to go to the website, everything's there. 
TWHolyLand.com. TWHolyLand.com. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. Recently, I spoke to a group of Christian college students. One of the students shared with me that a friend in his accountability group confessed that he continues to indulge in a particular sinful habit. He asked the group to pray that he would stop, but he refuses to get the help he needs. I told this young man, your friend is probably not serious about stopping. He enjoys his sin, and he's probably playing a game with you and the group to appease his conscience. In 2 Chronicles chapter 24, verses 17 through 19, we're reminded of the stubbornness of sin. But after the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah came and bowed down to the king, and the king listened to them. They abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and served the Asherim and the idols. So wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this their guilt. Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord. Though they testified against them, they would not listen. Here are three observations. One, sin runs from accountability. It might use accountability language, but sin always runs from accountability because it doesn't want light shed on the darkness of our souls. Number two, sin robs you of fulfilling God's purposes for life. These were leaders, and it was God's purpose for them to lead the people in a holy and godly life. But sin robs us of fulfilling God's purposes for our lives. Then number three, sin rebels against God's warnings. It doesn't want to yield to what is right. Here's what I want you to remember and do today. If you're living in sin, please listen to me. Don't make the mistake of not taking God seriously. You are destroying yourself. Repent. Do what is right to overcome it. Do it now. Thanks, Crawford, and thank you for listening to today's Legacy Moment, a production of Moody Radio. Welcome back to Spacey on the Right. Welcome back to the program, everybody. Thanks so much for being with us today. Yeah, it's raining here in the Midwest, and we desperately need the water for our plants. I got back. I was looking at my little... You you guys, if you've been following me on Instagram, you've seen that I have this bell pepper plant that I've been getting bell peppers off of. And don't you know, even though I watered it and put water into the reserve area under the little portable... It's like a little portable garden thing on wheels, so you can move it around and put it in the sun and put it in the shade that all the water went out of it last week. And then the the little bell pepper, the small babies that were coming along, a couple of those shriveled up and they're just, they're dead. They're, they're done. The plant is fine, but the, I only have one bell pepper on there. That's like survived the, I guess, onslaught last week and it will continue on and grow. And then the one that I harvested that was pretty decent size, but still a little small compared to what you see at the grocery store. And so I'm feeling just, Like I got something happened last week. I was out of town. I just needed a little break and now I'm back and the plants are not, they're, they're not happy. They didn't, they didn't have a good time. And the dog didn't have a good time. We picked the dog up from the groomer and he looked like he'd been through a tornado storm. He wasn't groomed. His hair wasn't cut. His ears were matted. And so we had to take him back today to get them to do the job they were supposed to do while he was with them while we were on vacation. So yeah, I'm just the aftermath is still coming on at me pretty strong. I'm trying to handle it, people. I'm trying to handle it. All right. So right now it's my pleasure to welcome first guest of the first hour. And we have Walter Myers III, political commentator, adjunct lecturer for the master's degree in science and religion program at Biola University. 
Walter, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Stacey. Thanks for having me. It's good to talk to you. So I have, of course, I thought it was fascinating, and we listened to the audio in the first segment of the president standing alongside the prime minister of Italy and commiserating with him in front of our media about the difficulties they've had with a kind of migrant invasion, if you will, and uh, illegal immigration and the things that they've been trying to do to stem that. And he drew a parallel between what they've been working with and what the president is trying to do on our southern border. Um, I want to have a discussion with you about how illegal immigration actually negatively impacts the black community. But Democrats are actually selling black Americans, a core constituency for them, on this idea that all, all immigrants are basically the equivalent of American blacks and our legacy and things that have been created for us in government and, and anywhere you see a program that has to do with American blacks, it's predicated on the fact that we had slavery in this country for a long time and therefore there are some inherent disadvantages that are we're finally seeing the end of. But these programs don't exist to be applied to any person who comes here who isn't white. Well, Stacey, I mean, as with as with all things, I mean, it's it you know it's it's somewhat complicated, and um, I mean, what I what I think Democrats uh, they have sort of recognized is since they've lost the middle, since they've lost the middle, pretty much the middle of the country, they've lost the middle class people. They need to have and they need to have a new constituency, and right now that new constituency is um, or what their hope is is that eventually they will be able to take all of the illegal. And when we talk about e- immigration. I always like to qualify with Ill, we're specifically talking about illegal immigration, not mm-hmm. legal immigration. Absolutely. And with respect to this, the idea here is that as you bring people, if you bring literally millions of people here, hopefully they will eventually take the House. Hopefully they, or their hope is they'll take the House, will eventually take the Senate, and then they can eventually get legislation pushed when, uh, I guess, Hillary Clinton wins in 2020 or Joe Biden or whoever. Uh, whoever they do decide, they do decide to put up front against Trump in 2020, that that person will sign will sign legislation in place that will actually give amnesty as well as a path to citizenship for literally tens of millions of people who come here illegally. I think that really is their end game. And so if that means literally having lit- millions of people flood, flood the border and, and into the United States and get them that citizenship, I mean, that's uh, for them. That's the that's the price that needs to be paid. Uh, I think ultimately, that's um, that's that will be very destructive, you know, to our country. But I think that's really where they're going. And the idea that and an idea that it's just that it's just brown people. I mean, that just to me is just a farce. It's like people who are coming. I lived in Mexico for two and a half years. I've lived and worked in Mexico for roughly for about two or three years of my life, just going back and forth. And I mean, in Mexico, I mean, yes, you have brown people, but there's all sorts of people there. So there's no to, to try to make this a color thing or race thing. This really has nothing to do, nothing, to, nothing to do with race, in, in, in my view. But that's the way they sell things these days. You have to be sensational. You have to make this about some type of identity politics and those types of things. And that's just basically what we hear from the Democrats. And unfortunately, we just don't have an, an informed enough electorate that people will really push back on some of these things that the Democrats are doing, particularly as they take us towards a, a socialist state. And that's, the, that's even, a, even the larger, scarier issue with respect to where their, their party is going. And so when you mention the socialist state and, and the, this new tendency, which, uh, Walter, I kind of see it as, as the full fruition. Like this is, the, this is where 
everything, every seed they've ever planted is now coming and blooming and flowering and, and they're seeing what they've actually sown, which is they've put socialism on par with capitalism in American public schools for at least 20 years now. They've tried to normalize Marxism, parts of Marxism. They've compared our social safety net to the socialist programs of countries that are failed, but they don't, they don't talk about the failure. So I guess I'm just, how do we point that out? Because the, I don't think Americans are buying it. You see regular people saying, yeah, socialism, if it means Medicare, if it means like if they're basically they're saying if it means stuff we're already doing that we expand that. Sure. But when you start talking about true socialism, the government owning the means of production, people not having private property, then people all unanimously Democrats, whatever, they all say, no, 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 I don't mean that. How do we push back on people like Ocasio-Cortez, who she's got a pretty face, she's very, very marketable, but she's doing things and saying things that are just, they're ludicrous. Well, you know, I mean, again, I think, it, I think it's the fact that much of the electorate is not really truly aware of what the Democrats are doing. What they hear, and, and it's because, and largely because of the media. The media is effectively an arm of the Democratic Party. And so I think that's a that's that's a, that's a huge problem, but I think I think also with respect to with respect to the entire sort of socialist state or where where things are going, I also think that in very I I believe that eventually Americans will get it and they will say this is not a direction that we want that we want to go in, and I think once we start and we need to really start to I think I think the and as a Republican and as a conservative well actually conservative first and um, and then and then as a Republican. I think that we need to do a better job of, communi- of communicating, particularly with, particularly with the black community, is that how do we, and, and, and I try to do it in my own personal discussions, and when I have discussions with, with other blacks about, I don't sort of give them the sort of the Republican kind of party line. I, I always like to ask questions. Well, what do you think about this? What do you think about this policy? Where do you think this is going? What do you think of the consequences? I think really it's, it is a con- incumbent upon us as black conservatives is to have those discussions with people as much as, much as possible. Um, I, think, I think also it's educating ourselves more on what does socialism, what does socialism bring. Yes, to your point, we have had some socialistic type things. If you look at Medicare, if you look at Social Security, yes, those are actually their socialist systems. And I think sometimes we tend to call them, say that they're not really socialists, but they really truly are socialists. So I think we need to do a better job about educating people in conversations that we have with them, not really trying to sort of score points or make political or partisan points. But I think it's really about having conversations with, with, conversations with people in our communities to start to sort of drive those to start to sort of drive to drive a different way of people starting to view where we're going where we're going as a country and um, what the Democrats are selling I mean it does it does sound good but when you get down to brass tacks eventually it doesn't just stop at one place it always tends to be a progression towards you until you get towards full blown communism and I think we've learned that in Venezuela I think we've learned that in Cuba of course we've learned that in Russia that's a collapsed a fully collapsed system. So I think really it's a matter of conversations and really being serious about having these conversations and having them in the right way with with people um, with people as we in the people that we meet on an everyday basis without talking about sort of the partisan the, the partisan party type party type politics discussion. Well, that's a lot harder to do 
than, you know, the flame wars of the uh, social media. So I think your point is well taken, but it's it's something that we have to condition ourselves to be able to do, which is, you know, kind of get past the initial discussion, which really all of it centers around a hatred of Donald Trump. But Donald Trump won't always be the president. He hasn't always been the president. But the issues have been there since, you know, what were we doing back when Reagan was president? He was signing amnesty. Bill Clinton was talking about sealing the border and on and on and on it goes. And But nothing's ever really been done. Nothing substantial has been done to fix the problem. And when I think there's this idea that with conservatives, Republicans, people on the right, that there's no understanding of the difference, which you made at the very beginning, but I want to just re-highlight real quick, which is we're not against immigration. It's illegal immigration that is the problem, and it really messes everything up. So illegal immigration actually damages the cause of legal immigrants and people who are trying to reform the system so that it's more friendly and easier to navigate. But there'll never be a point at which we're ready to receive everyone who wants to come here because that's simply impossible. Well, I mean, and, and I, I agree with that. There are literally probably billions of people who want to come to America, and that's a that's a wonderful thing. And we've always been a we've always been a very welcoming welcoming country, and we still are a welcoming country. But I think to, I think what I have really noticed about Trump and what I love about Trump is that Trump puts America first. He puts Americans first. That doesn't mean that we don't want legal immigrants. It doesn't mean we don't want other people to come in and join and join in our our system of government, our capitalist system, to come in and, and, and give back to our system and benefit and, and start companies and grow companies. I mean, that's what we want. We want the best and the brightest, but we want to be able to select those people that come in. And the idea that you're going to basically create, and what's the worst part is, the idea that you can create a socialist state, basically a socialist state that has open borders, okay, and a welfare state, I mean, Milton Friedman said that is, that's, that's just insanity. That is never going to work. So if you're going to continue to bring across all these people, and then you're going to offer them all these benefits, and you're going to set up this socialist state, well, somebody's going to have, someone's going to have to pay for all of this stuff. And I think we've seen even today, um, even liberal, liberal and, um, and conservative scholars alike have looked at Bernie Sanders and Ocasio-Cortez, I guess, her plan now for Medicare for All. That's $32 trillion over, ten, over a 10-year period. So basically, we would have to roughly double all the tax receipts, just to, all of the tax receipts, not just for the rich, but for everyone mm-hmm. to, be able to, pay, to be able to pay that type, pay, be able to pay that type of benefit. And I mean, it just, it, just, it just makes no sense. And so while they're out there make, making these types of cases, I think, it's, I think it's pretty clear that you cannot pay for these types of, you cannot pay for these types of programs. And also, uh, without wrecking the system, and also, I think when people realize that they will lose their existing health care and that they will have no other option other than to take what the government gives them, support for these types of programs drops way off. So I think, again, it's about communicating, okay, well, if someone is going to force you to take Medicare and tell you you have no other option, I don't think most American people would be accept would be accepting of that when they really know what's actually what's when they really understand it truly from that case. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine a sixty second or maybe hundred and twenty second video that just explains? Look, you know, it sounds wonderful, and if it would work, and in almost every government on the face of the planet would be doing it, but there is no Medicare for all 
and that exists alongside of a private health care system that anyone can access where you get to choose Medicare for all or choose the, the, the other option, that both of those work at the same time. And $32 trillion, I mean, I know we talk in these large numbers, and sometimes I think people just tune it out. Trillions of dollars, who even understands the magnitude of that? But if you look at our deficit and then you look at what they're proposing, this dwarfs every other program, even the vaunted military spending that the Democrats are always crowing about. There's nothing that we're spending this much money on right now. And even if there were, that would also negate the ability to pay for it. There's just no way to do it. And I know people think, well, there's an unlimited amount of money with wealthy people in this country because we have so many wealthy people. But that's not actually true either because wealthy people know how to protect their money. And if they thought everything they own was going to be confiscated to pay for Medicare for all, they would simply leave the country. Their assets would leave first and then they would leave. So there is no way to do this. Yeah. But then all you're going to get from the wealthiest people is $2 trillion anyway. So that'll last you maybe for a year or two and then it's all gone. And then you have people who are no longer producing wealth. So that's the other problem is like if you're going to take away from those people that are producing the jobs, the producers, in other words, what I like to think about it, Bernie and, and Ocasio-Cortez is they're the people that are going at the, after the producers. Well, what happens once you destroy the producers? You get exactly what you get, what you get in Cuba, you get what you got in Venezuela, of course, what you got in, in, um, in the USSR, is that when the producers cease to be productive, there, really is, not, there is really no wealth for you, to, for you to spread around anymore. And one thing I like to do, Stacey, to sort of bring down those numbers, the trillions of dollars, is imagine you have, imagine you have a friend who makes $40,000 a year, okay? They're already, already $2,000. Or let's say they make $35,000 a year. They're already $200,000 in debt, okay? And they're mm-hmm. borrowing $5,000 a year putting on their credit, putting on their credit card to bring that up to, to, to $40,000. I would ask that, ask that that's a friend. Well, how long do you think your friend can go at that level of borrowing in, in their life? And they would say, well, yeah, obviously that's something they would have to get another job. They would have to do something. Well, if you just take that and add, I believe, eight zeros to that, then you start looking at the trillion. So I think if you sort of compress those numbers down and look at that load, that load of debt, a person with a $35,000 a year salary who borrows $5,000 every, every year and they're already $200,000 in debt, that's effectively that's effectively um, our 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 federal government uh, with respect to its debt and with respect to its deficits, but just scaled up with scaled wow. up with eight or nine additional zeros. Wow! Thank you so much for breaking that down for us and for coming on the show today. Hope to have you back again soon, Walter, for your expertise and knowledge. Wonderful to talk to you today, Walter Myers III, political commentator and professor. Thank you for being here today. Thank you, Stacey. Appreciate it. All right. Talk to you again soon. We'll be back with more right after this. What does it take to live an uncommon life? Here's former Super Bowl winning coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment. How often do we minister only to those who are like-minded? When I was coaching, sometimes I'd have a coach or a player who may not have had a perfect past, and people would ask me if I really wanted them on the staff or the roster or even if I wanted to be associated with them at all. Jesus wants us actively ministering to people who need to be ministered to, who need to know the source of that difference in our lives, and who need Jesus' healing words and His grace. How else will we show the world that we're different and we can impact those who may need it? 
Tony Dungy, author of the popular Uncommon book series. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. That's CoachDungy.com. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. The crisis at our southern border has stymied all reasoning and thoughtful consideration of what is driving the influx of people irresponsibly dragging tiny children thousands of miles to break our border laws. Most of those arriving here illegally are claiming credible fear that they will suffer violence or reprisals in their home country. The problem with that is that just 5% of all claims made are found to meet our standards for asylum. This doesn't matter because those who are caught at the border are released into America and 95% of them never show for their asylum hearing. The result is a market increase in people competing for low-wage work, which disenfranchises our low-income citizens and is burdening our welfare system. Central American migrants claiming asylum have surged 800% over numbers recorded in 2012. Violence in Central America has declined by 40%. It's time that we made it clear we are closed to illegal entry into our country. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. I'm Chad Pergram with the Speaker's Lobby. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo appeared recently before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee to talk to senators about President Trump's summits with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un and Russian President Vladimir Putin. And senators of both parties left the hearing not knowing much more than they did before. Pompeo refused to answer many questions, and Pompeo's yet to hold a classified briefing for lawmakers about either conclave. Senate Foreign Relations Committee Chairman Bob Corker of Tennessee criticized President Trump for constant oscillation between presidential comments and tweets and how they differ from established U.S. policy. He asked Pompeo if there was a strategy behind the back and forth. The Secretary of State largely didn't answer and then sparred with Corker as to whether or not he did answer. The top Democrat on the committee, New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez, blasted Pompeo. He said, quote, if President Obama did what President Trump did in Helsinki, I'd be peeling you off the Capitol ceiling. So Corker asked Pompeo if he'd like to give a response to Menendez's tongue lashing. Not a word, replied Pompeo. With the Speaker's Lobby, Chad Pergram, Fox News. This is Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. I'm Mr. Whole Job. I love that job. I love the job of summer. Franken was treated warmly at every turn. This young dad remembers Franken's repeated visits to the old school. It's awesome, and we really appreciate everything he has done. And like many on the Leech Lake Reservation, he says he'd like to see Franken return to public life. Will you run for office again? Oh, that, that, see, if, if I say anything there, you'll, you'll, you'll put it in the story. So I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I, I haven't ruled it out. I haven't ruled it in. Franny Franken admits the abrupt departure from the Senate has been difficult for both of them. It has been a challenge. Um, and, but we do get to spend more time together. And I think there are times when, um, both of us would like to spend less time. Okay, so uh, welcome back to the program. I'm sighing because I'm just trying to remember in my mind, and maybe you can help me, the last time a disgraced Republican received such a puff treatment from a media organization. Al Franken and his wife show up to, you know, glad hand and, and present themselves as, as some sort of... Um, you know, just just a couple, just a man in a suit and a woman with a dream, a woman who spends a little too much time with her husband, a woman who 
She's sad because her time as a wife of a politician was abruptly brought to an end by revelations about her husband's salacious and disgusting behavior towards women. And even though it was a part of the Me Too movement and she's a hardcore Democrat and feminist herself, she just wants people to think of the better times, the times when Al Franken did good things for the people, the times when he was a man of the people and not a man who groped people. Yeah, that's what they're trying to sell. Like, who's picking up that peddled garbage? You know, I, we have an opportunity to move forward uh, without people who, like Al Franken, there was photographic evidence, so we don't have to wonder what he did to the lady. We know what he did. And there were other allegations that were made that were never substantiated. We don't know what the investigations resulted in. We don't really know anything except that women came forward. And since this is the Me Too movement and the Democrats made it, it's their baby. They've made this bed. Should they not have to be the ones to sleep in this bed? I think so. And by this bed, I mean the Me Too movement. They brought it on. So if they want to make changes to it, if they want to suddenly start to say that men are innocent until proven guilty and that men deserve due process, which I, I totally, that's my position. But who am I? I'm just over here on the right, you know, being vilified for holding my own thoughts and ideas uh, apart from the black community. Uh, you know, come on. This is what they wrought. Why should he be immune from the treatment? So I, I, I have to say no thanks to this news organization kind of trotting him back out for a trial run. Just keep on trotting and let him get back to wherever he was because there's plenty of stuff he can do in the private sector. He was a comedian before he could be a comedian again. He could do almost anything. This is America. This is America. How about that? I think it's kind of crazy that they're even trying to trot him back out again. I mean, just earlier today, I was looking at some uh, YouTube videos, political YouTube videos, and I noticed how it was video after video of President Trump back when he was on the campaign trail. And then there were videos of, um, of, of President Obama making comments about this or that. And the shows that, that were being, the clips were on, it was like Bill O'Reilly, no longer at Fox News, um, and others. Eric Bowling, no longer at Fox. Now, he's, he's landed over at uh, CRTV, I believe, and he's doing okay. But it's just, it's, it's kind of crazy to me that others have had to kind of go off on their own and reinvent themselves and try to, try to, you know, try to make a way for themselves. But the media is propping up and trying to help Democrats who've been found on the wrong side of their own movements. And we're supposed to just let that fly by? It needs to be noted and, and it needs to be, you can't be the kind of person who says you believe every woman and every woman deserves to be believed and you're just lockstep with the Me Too movement and still okay with Al Franken. Sorry, you just can't. Same thing goes for those same people who are acting in the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise. I don't know if you, it, new story, fresh out, still hot. Uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy executive director so he directed the films the two movies that are, that we've seen the guardians of the galaxy and then the part two and it turns out that years ago on twitter he made fun of um it's really disgusting i'm not going to describe it here on good family radio but it's it's disgusting garbage that he tweeted out 
it's the kind of stuff that if you're a Republican, you're going down and you're never coming back. You'll never be seen from or heard of again. You're going into the private life and, and no one's going to hire you. You're just gone. He tweeted that kind of stuff out. He, he joked around about, uh, you know, sex with kids. It's just it's gross. So he was when the tweets surfaced because they were connected with a conservative organization that kind of said, hey, if you're going to be passing out you know, me too smackdowns. Here's one for him. He's prominent and here's what he tweeted and he's never apologized for it. Well, so they do that. They take this look. They're, you know, kind of upset about what they found. And after an internal investigation, basically, I guess they verified if the tweets were true, then they let him go. Well, now his, the actors on the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise, all of the actors in that franchise, including Chris Pratt, are saying, you know, this is unfair. He needs to be brought back. Really? So do we need to bring everyone back who's had anything wrong in a tweet? Because I don't see how he gets brought back and uh, Roseanne Barr is still blacklisted in Hollywood. I mean, what's worse, comparing someone to the hairstyle of someone on Planet of the Apes or joking around about kids and sex? I mean, which which I, I'll leave it to you to make the decision. I know where I am on that. If it's going to be good for the goose, it has to be good for the gander. And, and I'm ready to see someone justify adequately, justify what, what we're discussing here. I just, it, this dude has been let go by his production company because they don't want to be associated with those kinds of tweets. Now, admittedly, and we've seen this happen as well, you can have someone have tweets that, you know, surface and they say, oh, wow. I don't agree with those tweets anymore. I'm going to delete them. And, you know, those those jokes were made in poor taste or those tweets were made, you know, in the heat of the moment, the anger, whatever. I'm deleting them. I apologize. And that's it. And you move forward. Organization chooses to move forward. Yada, yada, yada. I mean, it's what happens is really between the person in question and the organization. But I'm not down for the double standard. I'm not here for the double standard that says if you're a conservative or you're a Trump supporter, you have to be vilified into non-existence. But if you're just regular old liberal, then, you know, you get to come back. No, I, what I want to see them do is say, you know what, we are going to bring him back. And we're also going to rethink what we've done with Roseanne Barr. There is no way that that new television show that they're planning on launching called The Connors is going to make it. There's no way that show is going to make it. And we all know why. So why not bring her back or allow her to have her own vehicle, her own program. That's just her build a new cast around. In other words, she still gets to work and earn a living. It's either, or it's not going to be, well, we're going to bring the guardians of the galaxy guy back, but we're not going to bring back Roseanne Barr. We're not going to give her a chance to work. I, I hate what she tweeted, but that's not the point. The point is not, is she supposed to be banished for life? For a tweet, we need to t- this needs to be taken into perspective. It needs to be brought back down from the emotionally laden, out of control, crazy rhetoric and put back into a place of normalcy. Anyone can make a mistake. Anyone can tweet something offensive or, or crack a joke that's just absolutely horrific. Now what? Do, do we vilify people into oblivion or do we say... Um, in this, you know, in this case, the person's apologized. We've deleted the tweets and we're moving forward. I mean, please help me understand that that's what we're supposed to be doing here is understanding and same treatment for everybody. Equal under the law, I would say, but there is no law about what you can tweet. Really? So 
now speaking of online social media, we've got Facebook. Now, you know, they've lost 19% of their total value. Um, on their last earnings call, they had a really difficult go talking about the different things that they're having to do to try to combat fake news, try not to uh, have their platform operate as an arm of the Democrats, all the different things, the Cambridge Analytica, data breaches, uh, scandals, whatever. So they're actually having this huge news story out today about a number of accounts that they've deleted that it turns out we're really churning out some serious social media action, get, getting viral posts and everything. They've identified an ongoing effort to influence the U.S. midterm elections using inauthentic accounts and pages on the social media network. The quote from them, uh, from their blog post, is that we're still in the very urgy, early stages of our investigation and don't have all the facts, including who may be behind this, but it's clear that whoever set up these accounts went to much greater lengths to obscure their true identities than the Russian-based internet research agency has in the past. And so one of the pages that they have is called Resistors. And this page has been found to be fake. It's, it's a fake page, and the stories that are on there are meant to inflame the passions of the people who like the page. It says, if Trump wants to beat Barack Obama's Twitter record for most liked tweet, he need only tweet two words, I resign. And so this is a resistor page. They think that it's been put up by Russians trying to influence the election. The company has stepped up their efforts to ferret out fake accounts. And here's another one. This page is called Black Elevation. Black Elevation runs ads. It says, join Black Elevation team. We're hiring position event coordinator part-time. Salary is paid equally in two parts, one before the event, one after. This picture that they posted it's a meme had 50 comments and 291 shares 1200 reactions so it's a viral post it's black elevation and it has a picture of a man sitting on a wicker chair and behind him is a triangle he's holding a rifle and what looks like some sort of uh it's some sort of arrow and he's holding it and it says black elevation but it's a white guy. Facebook said starting last week, they identified eight pages and 17 profiles on their main social network, seven accounts on Instagram that violated their rules. They shared their findings with the U.S. law enforcement, Congress, and other technology companies. And they said they're letting the public know ahead of a real protest the fake accounts had planned and coordinated in the nation's capital for next week. So the fake accounts were actually organizing protests, which is the same thing that they did during the 2016 election cycle. They actually had fake Trump pages organizing protests where real Trump supporters would show up and hold a rally. But it was organized by a fake organization that was actually a part of the Internet Research Agency, which is a front group for the Russians. It says here... Resistors. Millions of indigenous people died during the conquest of America. History is history, but if we want integrity and quality, we have to erase these bloody memories and start over. Congratulations, L.A. L.A. cancels Columbus Day. This post is from September 1st of 2017. So this page has been up and running. It has 290,000 likes, and Facebook's just now realizing these aren't real people. These people aren't who they say they are. So, <laughs> yay, Facebook, you finally figured out that there's some fake Russian accounts putting up stuff. So here's what you need to watch for. 
I'm giving you this news right here. It's hot off the presses right here on the show. And I just shared with you what's going on there. Now, there are some other pages that are in the story that are much more like, um, what would we call them? Like troll accounts, like they're troll pages. They're pages that are intentionally nonsensical. They don't make any sense. Which part of this story do you think the mainstream media is going to focus on? The fact that they're putting out pages that are geared towards Democrats? Because remember, during last election season, they put out pages geared towards Trump supporters. Most of the work that the Russians did on online social media, which coincidentally was found to have almost zero impact on the election, was done towards Trump supporters. But now they're actually targeting Democrats. So should we um, listen for all of the people at CNN to start talking about how the Russians are targeting the Democrats? No, because then that would mean that we would say, oh, they're targeting you. That means you're in cahoots with them. That means all Americans are in cahoots with the Russians because the Republicans are already in cahoots. And now the Democrats are in cahoots. So everyone's a Russian spy, which means no one is. They're not going to do that. They can't go back on what they've said. They've tried to connect the Russian attempt to do all of this with Donald Trump. And so they're going to keep doing that. They're going to focus on these pages, whatever they can focus on that connects it to Donald Trump. And they're going to ignore all the rest of this. Um, It's pretty amazing that this shows and proves what we've been saying here on this show all along that the Russians don't care which candidate wins the election. They've never cared. They only care about dividing us so that we're weaker because they can't handle strong, unified America as an international power. Unstoppable, unless we're divided and hating on each other. So... That's hour one. We'll be back with hour two right after these important messages from onenewsnow.com. Find me online at stacyontheright.com and keep it here.